Let's open up our Bibles, please, to the book of Colossians, chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 3 through 6. Colossians, chapter 4, verses 3 through 6. We want to continue our Bible study in this book. And uh, so let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray that you would bless the reading of your word here this evening, Lord. And we pray that you will anoint it, Lord God, and give it life. Even though, Lord God, many of us are at home right now watching and are not able to uh, be at church. Father, we pray that your spirit will be strong and present in our homes, in our places, Lord God, where wherever we're listening to the service, that you would bless it. And help me once again, Lord God, as your servant, to communicate your word here tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, Amen. All right, let me read this for you. Colossians chapter 4, verses 3 through 6. And again, I'm reading out of the New International Version, NIV. It says this, And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Tonight, I want us to pick up on verse 3. And it says in verse 3 of Colossians chapter 4, it says, And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Now, I know that we spoke on these verses of Scripture last week, but I want to pick up here because the Apostle Paul is asking for the people of God to pray for him and his ministry team. And since the Apostle Paul was willing to ask the saints to pray for him and his ministry team, I'm going to take liberty to take advantage of this time to ask you who are listening online, those of you that are here present, to pray for Julie and I and our ministry leaders here at our church. Here's something that we need for you to pray about right away. Okay, On Sunday morning, this past Sunday morning, when we had the service outside. It was a great success. A lot of you came out. It was beautiful. However, for some reason, we still don't know why, but for some reason, our online service for YouTube went out after the first couple of songs. Now, it came back much later on, probably about halfway through my sermon, but sadly, by that time, we lost the majority of the viewers that were on YouTube because they gave up watching. Sadly, Two of those that were watching on YouTube were Julie's mom and Julie's uncle. And they were not able to get uh, or transfer to Facebook. Now, thank God that our Facebook page was good from the beginning to the end. But for those of you, those that are on YouTube, if they didn't know how to switch back to Facebook, then we lost contact with them. And that was very, very sad. So, this Sunday, we plan on having the services outside again. So please pray that there will be no interruptions on our online services. Can you guys pray for us on that, okay? Please keep that in your prayers. We want things to go smoothly because we're moving it outside. It puts a, a little bit more uh, technology pressure on us to make everything work. We don't really know why it went out, and we don't really know why it came back on at halfway during the sermon, okay? But I believe that if we start to pray right now, that things will be good for Sunday morning as we have our outdoor service again. So, 
Paul asked the people to pray. I'm asking you to pray for our services from now on, okay? The Bible tells us to pray for our ministry leaders. Pray for Julie and I and those who help us in our worship, in our worship team, in our online services. Pray for our ushers and all those on our tech team, our sound team, our overhead team, our live stream team. Pray for their lives and for their ministries and for their families. Pray for those that arrive early to set up chairs and tarps. Pray for those that stay afterwards to put everything away because by that time, it's hot and the service is over and uh, it's a big sacrifice. So there's a lot of things involved, a lot of people involved, and we need for you to pray. That's your part, just to pray. Now, the next part of verse 3 is also important. In verse Colossians 4.3, it says this, Pray for us too that God may open a door for our message. Pray that God will open a door for our message of Jesus Christ so that we can reach more souls. How many of you know that's important to our God? That's important to our church? It should be important to all of us individually as Christians that we reach more souls, that we have more opportunities. This is why I'm asking you to pray for our live streaming ministry because more people are hearing about Jesus Christ and salvation and learning more about the Bible than ever before. People that would never, ever come to church are willing to listen on our online services, and that has been a major blessing for the kingdom of God. Let's read Colossians chapter 4, verse 3 again. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for the message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Now, verse 3 talks about proclaiming the mystery of Christ. We didn't talk about this last week, so I want to take advantage of this week to say something about this topic. We find the definition or understanding of the explanation of what this mystery is in the book of Ephesians chapter 3 verse 6. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 6. It defines or explains what this mystery in Christ is. It says this, this mystery is that through the gospel the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. So let me try to explain what this mystery is in plain words that the Apostle Paul is referring to. It says here that the Gentiles, Gentiles are people who are not Jewish. The first time when I first became a Christian and I heard that word Gentiles, I thought it mean it meant like somebody being a gentleman. No, 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 that's not what it means. A Gentile is anyone who is not Jewish. So what is this mystery? That the Gentiles, those who are non-Jewish people, are now included to receive salvation on equal terms with the Jewish people. You see, before Jesus came into the scene over 2,000 years ago, if you wanted to become a follower of God, you had to become Jewish. And being Jewish or becoming Jewish mean, meant that you had to get circumcised. And if you don't know what that word means, look it up in the dictionary because I don't really want to talk about it. It grosses me out just talking about it here at church, okay? But if you wanted to become Jewish, if you wanted to become a child, a, a, a follower of God, you had to become Jewish and you had to get circumcised. Secondly, you had to learn to follow the law, the Torah, the law of Moses, the commandments. And you had to memorize them and learn them and try to live by them and, and, and try to live a, as pure of a life as you could. And then 
then you had to submit to the sacrificial system of offerings for sins, the blood sacrifices and grain sacrifices and all kinds of things that they were uh, asked to do. But the mystery of Christ that changed all of this is that today, thank you, Jesus, today we who are not Jewish, which includes me and many of you listening, we who are not Jewish can receive salvation in and through Jesus Christ. And get this, without having to get circumcised, hallelujah, without having to fulfill ceremonial laws, without having to sacrifice the blood of animals, all because salvation is provided to all peoples of all the world in and through faith in Christ Jesus. This is the mystery that now everyone is invited and can participate in this gift of salvation in and through Jesus Christ. Let's read Ephesians chapter 3 verse 6 again in the New Living Translation. It says this, and this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. And then it goes on in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 and it says this, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And what is this message of truth? What is the gospel that is able to save us if we believe it? 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 through 4 defines the gospel and it says this, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died. Here it is, church, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. This is the gospel. If you believe that Jesus Christ came to the earth and that he died and that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day, then you have believed and received the gospel. You see, today we are saved by the grace of God, by simply accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, accepting his sacrifice on the cross for us by repenting of our sins and crying out to a holy God for forgiveness by simply crying out, Jesus, save me. Just remember, if you're ever in trouble, if you're ever scared, if you're ever in a situation where you don't know what to do, just cry out, Jesus, Jesus, save me. If you're about to get in a car wreck, Rick, Jesus, save me. If you're in a panicky situation, Jesus, just shout his name. And there's salvation in Jesus. Jesus Christ loved us so much that he saw us in our sinful condition. He saw that we were not able to save ourselves. So we, he, he willingly sacrificed his body and blood on the cross as payment for our sins. And when we accept Christ as Lord and Savior, that's important because many people reject Jesus. Many do, people don't want to hear about Jesus. Many people are turned off by Jesus. Many people turn their back on Jesus. But when you acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord and you invite him 
into your life, believe me, that makes a big difference. And you re- and you believe that he died and that he rose again on the third day and that you ask him to forgive you. Then God says that you are no longer in your sin. You are forgiven. You are no longer under condemnation. You are now on your way to heaven and you have escaped the trap of hell. That's good news. We're adopted into the family of God. We are now citizens of the kingdom of God. And because we are children of God and citizens of the kingdom of God, all of the benefits, all of the privileges that the Bible speaks about that belong to the people of God are ours. That's awesome. Because at first, they just belong to the Jewish people. But now, they belong to all of us who belong to Jesus Christ. Every single promise is available to you and to me, as well as all the Jewish people that believe in Christ. And listen to the last part of Colossians chapter 4, verse 3. It says this. The last part says, And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. What is so amazing is that the Apostle Paul was in prison while he, when he wrote this letter to the Colossians, not only was he in prison, but he was in chains. He was shackled up. And yet, even though he was in prison, even though he was in chains, even though he could not move very far, he was like a caged animal that was chained, okay? And even, he was even guarded by Roman guards. But guess what? It did not keep the gospel from getting out and accomplishing its purpose. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says this, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two-double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Right now, right now, church, we've got this coronavirus that is causing all kinds of problems for people all over the world. It is even causing problems for the church here in California. Because right now, we cannot have a large crowd in church. But it doesn't matter. Because now, we move the church outside. Right now, it is against the law to have corporate worship inside the church. But guess what? It's not stopping us from worshiping God anyways. In other words, even if they put all of us in prison or make it illegal to have church, period, it doesn't matter. It's not going to stop our God from getting his word out. It's not going to stop our God from having his way. It's not going to stop the Holy Spirit from accomplishing his plan and his will in the world and from touching the individual people's hearts that he desires to touch. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 11 says this, So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish. It will accomplish. It will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You see, church, prison bars cannot stop God. The walls of Jericho or any other walls cannot stop God. International borders cannot stop God. Time zones cannot stop God. Language or cultural or economic or social or or educational barriers or age barriers or distance barriers cannot stop God. 
The coronavirus cannot stop God. Mayor Eric Garcetti cannot stop God. Governor Gavin Newsom, he cannot stop God. Our police officers, our military forces, they cannot stop God. The devil and all his evil cohorts, even if they gang up all together, they cannot stop God. Isaiah chapter 14 verse 27 says this, the Lord of heaven's armies has spoken. Who can change his plans? When his hand is raised, who can stop him? Who can stop him? When God decides that he wants to move, who can stop him? No one can stop him. It's just like that song that our worship team sang first here tonight. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? He is a, tr- he is a lion of the tribe of Judah. Can you say amen? And that his name is Jesus, church. No one is going to be able to stop us from proclaiming the name of Jesus. But one thing that God asked for us to do as his church, as his children, as his body, he asked us to pray. Colossians chapter 4 verse 3 says, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. And then it says in Colossians chapter 4 verse 4, pray. There it is again. God says, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. I want to encourage you to be a person of prayer. To exercise the discipline of prayer. I think that we can all agree. It says here, to pray, in verse 4 it says, Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. I think that we can all agree that when you are teaching little children about the Bible, you have to teach it in a way that will relate to them. Very simply, with a lot of pictures and with a lot of animation. When you teach teenagers the Bible, you have to teach it in a way that will relate to teenagers. And if you can, in a lingo that will relate to them. When you teach to a group of adults, then you have to teach it in a way that will relate to them. When you are in a group of people that are not church people, you have to teach it in a way that can relate to them. In other words, we have to ask God. We have to ask God continually to help us to know our audience, to be strategic, to be purposeful in our delivery of the message, to know how or in what way we can most effectively reach people. God wants us to be good at what we do in proclaiming his word, and he will make us good at what we do if we call on him to help us. And our goal will be to break through the, that barrier of ignorance, that barrier of darkness, that barrier of blindness, that barrier of a lack of understanding, breakthrough that spiritual barriers that are holding people in bondage, holding people in captivity, keeping people trapped in their sin. Second Corinthians chapter four, verses three and four. It says this, if the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Here is a sad reality. Right now, I'm speaking the word of God. 
And certain people may be listening to what I'm saying, but it's not registering. They're not understanding. You and I have to pray that whatever is blocking their understanding, that God will take away that block, that satanic power that is keeping them from understanding and receiving salvation. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12 says this, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood, enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. We are in a spiritual battle, the Bible says, and we fight against these forces by praying for those that need Jesus. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4 says this, We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. People are deceived. People are thinking that they're fine, that everything's cool, that if anything happens, they're going to be fine. Listen, they're being deceived. If they don't have Jesus, they're in serious trouble. I know because I was once there and I understand what, where they're at and how, I thought I was cool. I thought everything was okay in my life. And then one day God revealed to me that I was in some serious trouble. I had sin in my life. I needed to repent. I needed to get it right. And thank God I received salvation. There's others out there that were just like me, lost, thinking that everything is good and it's not. They're deceived. And we need to pray that that deception will be removed. Okay? Our weapons are prayer. Our weapons are worship. You know when we get together like this and we worship Jesus, we praise Jesus, we glorify Jesus, that is a weapon. That worship and that praise is breaking down strongholds of hell. That's a very powerful weapon, our worship. Reading and hearing the Word of God. Right now, you're hearing the Word of God and it's coming against lies. The Word of God, which is truth, is coming against deceptions. It's coming against things that are in your life that are not right and, and, it's, and it's contending for your soul. So all these things are very, very important. Attending church, corporate prayer, corporate worship and praise. These are all part of the weapons that God gives us to fight against the evil forces. Now let's go to Colossians chapter 4 verse 5. It says this, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let me read it out of the New Living Translation. It says this, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. To all of us who say we are Christians, we need to understand that people are watching us. They may act like they don't care or like they don't think that church and the Bible and the things of God are important, but people are watching us. They may criticize us or mock us or even attack our Christian faith or us personally, but people are watching us, okay? When we go to the market to shop, when we, go, when we come home, when we leave our home, when we go out, uh, out at, to do our normal activities, people are watching us. Is everyone listening to what I'm saying? People are checking us out if we say that we're believers, okay? If you say that you are a Christian and a non-believer sees you drinking beer or alcohol, you know what? It's going to confuse them. If you say that you are a Christian and a non-believer sees you smoking some dope, it's going to confuse them. If you are a Christian and a non-believer sees you gambling or buying lotto tickets, you know what? It's going to confuse them because you're supposed to be trusting in God. 
If you are a Christian and, and a non-believer sees you cursing and being mean and talking smack, you know what? It's going to confuse them. If they hear you acting all gangster or acting all mad dog, you know what? It's going to confuse them. If they see you going to clubs or bars or strip joints and you say you're a Christian, it's going to confuse them. This is especially true if you are a leader in the church. Do you know that we who are leaders in the church, whether it is a Catholic church or a Christian church or an Orthodox church, we will be held to a higher accountability before God. Listen to what it says in the book of James, chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. You see, I, as a pastor, when I come before God one day, I will be held to a higher accountability because I had the responsibility to teach you the Word of God properly. This means that I cannot give into public opinion or cultural pressures or trying to please people. That is what a politician does. But a pastor or a priest or a teacher or any person that is a leader in the church must have the courage to speak the truth even if he or she knows that it's going to offend someone. Even if it means that people will leave and abandon the church. Even if it means that people will attack us or threaten us or imprison us or even kill us. It doesn't matter. We are obligated by God to speak his truth no matter what. That is our position as leaders in the church. And God says, I'm going to hold you accountable, Pastor Jerry, for what comes out of your mouth. God is going to judge me one day for every word that comes out of my mouth when I'm on this pulpit. This is a sacred, hallowed place right here, the altar of God. And what comes out of the person that is preaching the word of God, we're going to have to answer to God one day for every word. God will hold me as a pastor, as a leader, accountable for any souls that are lost because of my negligence. If I do something that's going to cause someone to stumble, I'm going to be held accountable for that. So please remember that people are watching us. And I know that in the church today, it's very liberal. There's many, many Christians that drink. There's many, many Christians that smoke. There's many, many Christians that party. There's many, many Christians that go to clubs. There's many, many Christians that have sex out of marriage. There's many, many Christians that are compromising and very carnal and very loose in their lives. But let me tell you something. We have a holy God that is going to hold us accountable for how we live. And how we represent the kingdom of God. That's why he's saying, watch how you live among non-believers. Watch how you act and how you behave and what you do and what your activities are. Because if you're not doing what's right before God, you're going to bring blasphemy before the Lord. And that's a very serious thing. Please remember, people are watching us and if they stumble because of something that you're doing and you know that you're doing it and you do it anyway... You're going to be held accountable for that. Let's read what it says in Colossians chapter 4, verse 5 again. It says, live wisely among those who are not believers. Listen, they may be ignorant of a lot of things when it comes to the Bible and spirituality, but people in the world are very smart and very in tune, and they can recognize a phony when they see one. 
Live wisely among those who are non-believers and make the most of every opportunity. The second part says, and make the most of every opportunity. As believers, we need to make the most of every opportunity by how we live our lives on a daily basis. When non-believers see us walking the talk, this will minister to them in a big, big way. You can say a lot of stuff about what it means to be a Christian and about church and about salvation. But if you're not walking the talk, if you're not backing it up by the way you're living, then it's going to be ineffective. And the Bible tells us that when we have an opportunity to share our faith, or our testimony to make the most of every opportunity. Don't shy away from an opportunity to help people know and understand why Jesus Christ is so important to you. One of the most powerful weapons that you and I have as God's children is our testimony. Because many people will be curious and ask you, why do you serve God? Why are you so religious? Why do you go to church so much? Why do you read the Bible? Why is God so important to you? They'll ask you questions. And when they ask you a question, you have to be ready to answer them. And you have to tell them, you know what? This is what happened to me. I was like this, and then this happened, and now I'm like this. And this is why I serve God, because this is what God did for me. That's your testimony. I want to read in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, verses 7 through 11. It says this in Revelation, chapter 12, verses 7 through 11. It says this. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough. And they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. So the devil and his angels, which are now demons, were cast down to the earth. They were kicked out of heaven and they were cast down to the earth, which is where we are in the dimension of where we are right now. Okay? And it says here in verse 10, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed, listen to this, verse 11. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. In other words, we as God's children, we overcome the powers of hell by the blood of the Lamb. We know that we're forgiven by the blood of Jesus. He gave his blood for us on the cross. He gave his body for us on the cross. Through his body, through his blood, through his death and resurrection, we now have eternal life. We now have forgiveness of sin. We understand that. We already shared that earlier in the sermon. But it also says this, that we overcame the devil by the blood of the lamb. Listen, whenever you're in trouble, plead the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus comes against you, Satan. The the devil cannot pass by or pass through, or go through, or penetrate the blood of Christ. It cannot pass. The the blood of Christ has been applied to you as a child of God. And that bloodline cannot be crossed by the enemy. You need to understand that. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. Your testimony is very, very important. You know why? Because people will debate you when it comes to this. They're going to debate you. 
You're going to share scriptures and scriptures and scriptures, and they're going to debate those scriptures. But you know what they cannot debate? They cannot debate your testimony. They cannot, deba- uh, they cannot uh, debate what God has done for you. You know what God has done for you. And when you share what God has done for you and how he changed your life and the, and the difference that he made in your life, they cannot debate that because that's your life. That's your experience. They cannot challenge that. They can, they can criticize it or maybe question it, but they're not going to be able to challenge it because that's a real experience that you saw, that you smelled, that you heard, that you experienced. It's just like giving testimony in a court of law. When that witness goes up and gives testimony, the judge can't, can't uh, debate it. The jury can't debate it. The attorneys can't debate it. That is a testimony of a witness that saw something or heard something or smelled something or experienced something that's going to help in that case. And guess what? Your testimony as a child of God holds a lot of power. And a lot of authority. And you know what? Even the devil himself cannot challenge your testimony. That belongs to you. Don't let him take away your testimony. Don't let him strip you away of what God has done for you. And when you have a chance, when God sets it up, where God gives you a chance to share your testimony, share your testimony. Let them know what God has done for you. The last verse is verse 6. It says, let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. That's a New Living Translate, uh, Translation. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Do you know that Jesus wants us to draw people into him, not to push them away? Can you say amen, church? He wants us to draw people in. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus. As we conclude this section of Scripture, Lord God, we pray that you will help us as your children, as believers, as members of the Holy Church of Almighty God. Help us, Lord God, to realize that we have a responsibility, Lord, to to shine our light in the midst of a adulterous and perverse generation that is living in darkness. Lord, help us to be a light, a light that reflects you in the right way. And if any of us, Lord God, are involved with any activities that for whatever reason, Lord God, are compromising that light and that truth, I pray that you will help us to repent, Lord. Help us to repent and let go of that compromising behavior, whatever it may be. Help us to let it go. Surrender it to you. Because we have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who lives, but it is Christ who lives in me. If you're listening to me right now and you say, Jerry, I am not a Christian. I have never surrendered my life to Jesus. If that's you here tonight and you want to receive Jesus Christ, you have believed the gospel that Christ died and rose again on the third day. If you want to receive him here right now, just say this prayer with me. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I come before you as a person who recognizes that he is a sinner. And Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I receive you into my heart as my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 
And Father, I pray for all my brothers and sisters out there that may be struggling or going through any kind of a situation that's difficult. Help all of us, Lord God, to honor you in how we live our lives on this earth and how we respond to trials and tribulations and difficulties and temptations, that we would respond in a way that brings glory to your name and that shines a light to those who are lost and in darkness. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen. God bless all of you guys. Thank you so much for coming out and joining us online. And pray for us. Pray that things will go well for our Sunday services. Amen.